0: Whatever you consider to be solid in this world will quickly prove otherwise in an earthquake or severe storm. True stability is found only in God's Word. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah illustrates this truth by highlighting five promises from Romans 8 that will give believers courage and hope in our fallen world. To introduce today's message, Five Unshakable Promises, here's David.
1: And thank you for joining us today on Turning Point. We're delighted to have you as we uh, continue our discussion of Romans 8. We're down to the last few verses, and they're some of the best. Romans eight thirty-one to 36 lists five unshakable promises for believers. We're going to talk about all of them today on this edition of Turning Point. We have a study guide for this series. I've been telling you about it. It takes you through all of the things we've been learning in Romans chapter 8. It's a beautifully um, organized uh, 140-page book that gets you into the truth of Romans chapter 8, gives you a chance to interact with it. It's a tremendous way to have a study group. If you want to study something from the Bible that really will enrich your life, why not do— an eight week study on Romans 8 and use the study guides to keep you together in your group. And if you're the facilitator, listen to the audio CDs that you can order from our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. And then, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to take a moment again and tell you if you are thinking about going to Israel with us, you should get your reservations in. We're going to Go to Israel the 22nd of March through April the 1st, and uh, I'd love for you to come and be with us. Um, We're going to have an unforgettable tour, and you're going to see your Bible come alive right in person. Um, If you have never done this before, or if you have done it before, we will be uh, 11 days in Israel, and we will see 40-some historic sites while we're there, and you'll never be the same, I promise you. So, Get your reservation in. Plan to go with us in the new year, March 22nd through April 1st. Here is the book of Romans, chapter 8 and 5, Unshakable Promises. Romans 8:31 through 36. At the beginning, we read these words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Seems quite obvious the things Paul is talking about here are not the things he's just discussed, not those alone anyway, but all the blessed things that are ours because of Christ. His question might be translated, what is there left to say? Paul goes on to ask five questions of his readers, and we shall do the same thing to our listeners, to all of you today. Here is the scripture. Notice the questions as I read it. He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In answering these five questions, we discover five unshakable promises that give us courage and hope in the midst of our fallen world. And just as there were five links in the chain of salvation in verses 29 and 30 of Romans chapter 8, here are five convictions that flow out of these wonderful verses. They have never been needed more than in days like these. First of all, here is conviction number one. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no intimidation. Romans 8:31. if God is for us, who can be against us? The way Paul asks this question, he's assuming a positive response. We could easily translate it this way. Because God is for us, who can be against us? If Paul had simply asked, who can be against us, there would be many answers to that question. But the question is not, who can be against us? The question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And what a big difference that little word, if, makes. In other words, If anyone were able to take away our salvation, they would have to be greater than God himself. In Romans 8, 1, he tells us that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Who could possibly reverse that statement? I mean, if such a person were to exist, he would have to be greater than God himself. All the powers of hell may set themselves against us, but they can never prevail since God is on our side. Leon Morris says it this way. He means with God for us, it makes not the slightest particle of difference who is against us. No foe can prevail against people who are supported by a God like that. The Christian's confidence is in God, not in anything he himself does. And for all eternity, he can rely on God's gift. Paul is not speaking out of grim desperation, but in joyous elation. Now, listen to these words of encouragement from the Scripture, which underscore this point. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You will notice in all these verses that the difference maker is God himself. Psalm 46, 1 to 3, and verse 11. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then listen to this montage of verses from Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favorite sections of the Old Testament. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So Paul's message is very clear here in Romans 8. If we were not able to do anything at all to recommend ourselves to God in the first place, then what could we possibly do to ruin God's work in our lives? What we could not do, we cannot undo. If we could not do anything to be saved in the beginning, how in the world can we do anything to undo what God has done? But somebody may ask, could God take away our salvation? Since he did it, could he undo it? And Paul's answer to that question is powerful. If God did not spare his own Son in order to bring us eternal life, then would he allow his sacrifice to go for nothing? Would God do less for his children than he did for his enemies? Would he do less for us after we're saved than he did for us before we were saved? And, of course, you know the answer to those questions. So the first thing we learn, the first conviction from Romans 8, 31 and following is that for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no intimidation. What shall we say to these things? And secondly, now, for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no deprivation. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, I know that most of you have read this verse many times, and it's easy for us to take for granted the truth that it contains. But think for a moment about this thought. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God the judge, has a son, an only son, very precious to him. That son never committed any sin. In all that he did, he was ever pleasing to his father. Yet on this precious and beloved son, God now pronounces the sentence we deserved. It is a sentence immeasurable in its severity, and it is carried out in its every detail. He, the son, fully bore that horrendous curse, He drank the cup of unspeakable agony to the very last drop. That bitter cup, love drank it up. It's empty now for me. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no intimidation. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no deprivation. Notice, thirdly, for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no accusation. Romans 8, asks this question. Question number three, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In the last book of the Bible, we are told that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But even though the world and Satan are always bringing charges against God's people, Those charges cannot stick because the one who justifies is also the one who is the judge. Marcus Rainsford does away with every possibility of condemnation when he writes, there is no ground for condemnation since Christ has suffered the penalty. There is no law to condemn us since we are not under the law but under grace. There is no tribunal for judgment since ours is now a throne of grace, not a judgment. And above all, there is no judge to sentence because God himself, the only judge, is also our justifier. Little boy was shooting rocks with his slingshot. He had never hit his target, and as he returned to grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck. On impulse, he took aim and let fly, and the stone hit the duck and killed the duck, and the boy panicked and hid the bird in the woodpile. Only to look up and see his sister watching him. After lunch that day, Grandma told Sally to help with the dishes. Sally responded, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, Remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. What choice did he have? For the next several weeks, he was at the sink often, sometimes for his duty, sometimes for his sin. Remember the duck. Sally would whisper when he objected. So weary of the chore, he decided finally that any punishment would be better than washing all these dishes. So he confessed to killing the duck. I know, Johnny, his grandma said, giving a big hug. I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you, and I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. What a story and what an illustration. Johnny had been listening to the words of his accuser and had become enslaved by his words. More than a few of God's children have had the same experience. Paul reminds us that for us who have been freed from the death of Christ, there can never again be a valid accusation against us. The devil is the great accuser, but his accusations never stick because in heaven we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ. He literally is our lawyer. He's never lost a case. He represents us before the Father. So, let's just review. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no intimidation. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no deprivation. And thirdly, for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no accusation. Now we come to number four, which is an echo of something we've already studied. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Notice verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Now comes this question. Is there anyone to condemn us? And the answer is no. As believers, we have a fourfold protection in Christ. Watch carefully as we bring these things together. First of all, we are protected by Christ's crucifixion. This verse says that Christ died. Christ died on the cross and took for us the condemnation that we deserved. We cannot be condemned because he's already been condemned in our behalf. And Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We cannot be condemned because Christ was condemned in our place. We are protected by his crucifixion. Notice, number two, we are protected by his resurrection. And the Scripture says, and furthermore, he is also risen. You see, friends, when Jesus Christ came back from the grave, he proved his victory over sin and over death. And it is not just the fact that he rose from the dead, but that he was raised from the dead by the Father. This demonstrates that the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice of his Son as the only basis for our justification. His resurrection is the proof of our justification. So we're protected by his crucifixion. We're protected by his resurrection. Thirdly, we're protected by his exaltation who is even at the right hand of God, says Paul in Romans 8. He is even now at the right hand of God. The exaltation of Jesus Christ to the right hand of God, the Father, symbolizes the honor, power, and authority given to him as a reward for fully accomplishing his work. Philippians 2, 8 and 9 wraps all of this up. in a couple of verses here in Philippians He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Did you know that in the Old Testament temple, there was never any seats in the temple because the work of the priests in dealing with sin was never done. They could never sit down. They worked nonstop. But here we are told that when Christ was exalted, he sat down. The work is done. There will never again be a need for sacrifice for sin. I like to tell people Jesus did not sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he was finished. And Romans tells us that. Hebrews echoes it. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because it is finished. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. There is nothing left to be sacrificed for sin, for the greatest and most unique sacrifice has been offered. So, we're protected by Christ's crucifixion, and we're protected by his resurrection and his exaltation. Finally, we are protected by Christ's intercession, who also makes intercession for us. The power of Christ's endless life saves us to the uttermost. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. This is a whole message by itself, but let me just suffice to say, we are not left without defense and representation in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He's our advocate. He stands between us and the accusations that are made against us even now. He is the reason why there is no condemnation. And that brings us to the fifth of the five blessings and convictions in this chain in Romans chapter 8. Once again, for the believer in Jesus Christ, there's no intimidation. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there's no deprivation. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there's no accusation. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. And if you're looking for something that maybe is better than all of the rest of them. Here you find it. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there is no separation. Read with me the verses that share this truth, Romans 8, 35 and 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. When Paul speaks of the love of Christ, he's not talking about our love for Christ. He's talking about his love for us. And he points to Christ's love for us as a safeguard against the difficulties of life. Our love for him is fickle, but his love for us is steadfast. 1 John 4, 9, and 10 puts it this way. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. And then again in verse 19 of the same chapter, John writes, we love him because he first loved us. So friends, what kinds of circumstances does Paul have in mind as he speaks of being separated from Christ? He lists seven of them in verse 35. Here they are, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. These are representative, not exhaustive. In fact, all of these are found in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, where Paul talks about the dangers he experienced in ministry. He wasn't some armchair theologian. What he writes about He's been there and done that. He'd already suffered the first six of these seven hardships before writing this epistle to the Romans. By the means of the seventh, the sword, he was going to be put to death. And the apostle was speaking not only by inspiration, but also from experience. Therefore, when he stated that none of these things can bring about separation between believers and their Lord, he knew what he was saying, not only because it was inspired of God in scriptural format, but because he had experienced it all himself. When we meet the next time, we will discover that these seven things not only fail to separate us from the love of God, they end up elevating us to the status of more than conquerors. The great apostle ends this section of Romans 8 with a quote from the Old Testament. The passage that he chooses is from the 44th Psalm. Psalm 44:22. "'Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. "'We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter.'" Seems sort of a strange way to end such a triumphant passage, but as you get into the understanding of it, it begins to click. Paul cites these words to bring out the truth that for God's people there is a real risk and a call for real devotion. Friends, Christians might be tempted to think that because the love of Christ is so real and so unshakable, think of all these five things we've been talking about, they need not fear that they will run into trouble. But Scripture shows us that while the love is sure, so are the troubles. For the sake of God, we face death all day long. Actually, Paul says something stronger than this. He says, we are being killed all day long. It is real. It is not imaginary, this peril that Christians face. And some of us are beginning to notice that it's heating up here in America. It's heating up in places where we never dreamed we'd ever see it. What an incredible thing that in the light of all of the challenges we face are resting these promises. For those who are in Christ Jesus, No matter what's going on in your life, listen carefully. There's no intimidation. What shall we say to these things? There's no deprivation. If he would give his own son, what would he leave out? There's no accusation. Who can accuse you when God is the one against whom the accusations are being offered? And there is no condemnation. Remember what we learned earlier. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and there is no separation. Who shall separate us from our God? The sovereign grace of Almighty God is surely something in which the believer rejoices. God is for us. What a privilege, what a joy it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be the recipient of all of these great encouragements from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible. And I trust that it's spoken to your heart today, no matter what's going on in your life. Amen. If you think this was good, uh, let me tell you that tomorrow we're going to talk about the verse that talks to us in these words, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Maybe you don't feel like a conqueror today. And there are many days when all of us don't feel like conquerors. Well, tomorrow we're going to learn the principle of being more than a conqueror. And I hope you'll join us for the Friday edition of Turning Point as we conclude our study in the 8th chapter of Romans. And that means I need to get right into your heart with this. The study guide for Romans chapter 8 and the the CD package for Romans chapter 8 are available from Turning Point. Go to davidjeremiah.org. Get all the information and uh, go deeper into the Word of God. We'll see you tomorrow here on this good station.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine turning points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Romans, the written word journal, designed by David to help you know God's word more deeply by writing the book of Romans in your own hand. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions, available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude the series Romans 8, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah.
1: Think about the things you remember from years, even decades ago. A song, an event, a circumstance, or something someone said. More than likely, that memory has an emotional attachment like joy, sorrow, fear, excitement, pain, or relief. It was the famous Greek philosopher Plato who said, All learning has an emotional base. The Old Testament psalmist understood that as well. He wrote, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. As much as we don't like it, pain helps us learn. The next time you're experiencing discomfort, look for the lesson God wants you to learn. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's teachable moments on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.